This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. All right, time for us to check in here with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. And I have been waiting to talk to you, Vaughn, ever since I heard the news yesterday of this little mini cabinet shuffle. Mini cabinet shuffle with major implications because David Eby has finally bowed to the critics and reassigned Mitzi Dean as the Minister of Children and Family Development and demoted her to a mere Minister of State. You get less money and less staff. So uh, it's taken him a while to get around to this point, Simi, but he's finally done it. The calls for her resignation began last June, and pretty much everybody who isn't in the government has called for this. So we finally got it yesterday. Okay, so this and this was, a, as you pointed out, somebody a lot of people have been calling for the resignation yeah. or the firing of Mitzi Dean because there it feels like there's been just one problem after another. Yes, the center of this though is the House of Horrors, and that was the judge's description. The this is a case where two foster children were subjected to horrific abuse. One died. And the details of the case are so awful and revolting that I wouldn't repeat them on the air. The judges, the judgment in the case from the judge, he accepted a guilty plea and sentenced. Uh, I've not read very many court judgments as chilling as that one. So this case is exceptional and awful, even by some of the horror stories we've had in that ministry over the years. But, you know, Simi, yesterday, the premier... He insists this has nothing to do with that. Really? This has got nothing to do with all those calls for resignation. Nothing to do with one of the worst cases in the whole history of the ministry where ministry staffers did not check up on the status of the children again and again, which is one of the things that allowed the abuse to continue. But there's nothing to do with that. You know, you uh-huh. media people are so cynical, Simi. We're just, you know, <laughs> we we follow right. it. We report Plus. on all the calls for a resignation, report mm. on the details of the case, and the premier says, Nothing to do with that. Right. So well, nothing to do with us. And that's why they replaced the deputy minister, too. Yes. So they replaced the deputy minister as well as a, a, a senior public servant gone in there. The premier says that, you know, uh, Mitzi Dean did an excellent job, which or a good job, which on what basis? I don't know. You could prove that. But uh, she, uh, he and Mitzi Dean talked it over and there was a mutual agreement oh. that the ministry needed a makeover. Okay, And so this is all Mitzi Dean's idea, if you believe the premier. I, I, in general, uh, when I listen to David Eby in press conferences, I generally give him the benefit of the doubt. But on this one, I just went like, I don't think even Mitzi Dean and her friends and family believe this has nothing to do with that awful, awful case. Okay, but then, Vaughn, it makes me wonder, is something else coming then? Well, that's there's two things that could be coming. So the first thing 
is uh, there has been a, an excellent series of stories in the Victoria paper going back to November on another House of Horrors case in this time in Alberni, a little boy horribly abused dies. Um, and Louise Dixon has written a series of stories on this. So clearly we're waiting for more on that case. Um, and the other thing, and, and that predates Dean's time. So it does substantiate the idea that, you know, there's a lot of troubles in that ministry and have been for a long time. But of course, the other thing is, if you go back to last summer, when the details of the House of Horrors case came out, um, the child and youth representative, Jennifer Charlesworth, gave an interview. And she said she's been in this field for 46 years and she can't think of a case as bad as this one. So she was going to investigate. Well, she has the power because she's independent and she has the power to investigate. So we assume, Cindy, that uh, the investigation there is well underway. It may be completed. The government may have gotten wind of it and decided to preempt the findings by replacing the minister and replacing the deputy. Mm. You know, the, the, right. the cynics the cynics among us, and I deny being one of those, when E.B. refused to fire Dean last summer and again last fall, the assumption was he was just keeping her around so he'd have somebody to fire when the report came out. Um, you know, one, one can't. Some days you feel you can't be too cynical in this business, but we shall see. We, the the rumor in Victoria is that the child and youth representative's report will be coming out soon, and there isn't the slightest chance it'll be flattering to that ministry. Right, which you would think if there had been progress, if there was something good to report, then that might have saved her job. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, they fired staffers in that ministry. I mean, they, they rarely yeah. tell you these things, uh, but they did admit last year that plural staffers were no longer in their jobs in that ministry. They refused to tell us the positions that were replaced. They did indicate there was more than one. They refused to say how many, and they refused to discuss whether or not there was severance or just outright firing. But we know that staff in the ministry have already taken the fall for this. So the idea that, you know, the, the deputy has been reassigned, not fired, sent to a different ministry, uh, new deputy with a reputation for being a, a, a tough administrator brought in, David Galbraith, and New minister. So the new minister is Grace Lord, my MLA here for Victoria. She's the successor to Carol James. Um, the one thing about that is she was a minister of state, so uh, child care, and she seemed to do a capable job there. Uh, she's relatively inexperienced in provincial politics. Uh, she only got elected in uh, let's see, she, in the 2020 election, she followed Carol James. She has a PhD in gender studies and, you know, give her the benefit of the doubt. But and the premier was asked about what does she bring to the ministry and what are you looking for from her? And he said yesterday, well, she's got 10 months before the election. So, you know, don't get your expectations too high. That ministry is a mess that needs a lot of work. So, you know, I, I, as I say, give her the benefit of the doubt. But uh, given the troubles in that ministry, it's reassuring to see an experienced deputy go in for the restart. Uh, 
Grace Laura's got her work cut out for her as I'm a new minister. And as I say, give her the benefit of the doubt for good intentions and everything. But, you know, she has taken on a ministry that has been troubled for many, many years, almost since it was created in the mid-1990s. So true about that. Okay, we hope to talk to Grace Laura later in this week. Just thinking during the break of what I said at the very end to you, that the Ministry of Children and Family Development has always been troubled, and it has been. A, a former senior public servant in that ministry once explained to me why that was the case, and I think it's important to recognize this. That, okay. that ministry deals with children from troubled families. If the families weren't troubled, their plight of the children would never have come to the ministry's attention. And this fellow said to me, essentially, you got to recognize what we do as a ministry. And this is collectively the social workers and the administrators. You have to decide whether the troubles in the family are so bad that you take the children away from the family and assign them to a foster family and break the tie between the children and their parents, probably irreparably. Or you decide that maybe the troubles aren't that bad and you leave the children there and count on it not getting worse. He said, if you add into that, that about half the children in ministry care are indigenous, you will get some sense of the daily dilemma the people who work in that ministry who are very well-intentioned face. And I think, you know, that's one reason why changing the minister and changing the deputy and reorganizing again and putting more resources in does not mean the end of a ministry where the client base is inherently troubled. Uh, which oh. also means that we're going to talk more about yeah. it, right? There'll yeah. be more to come on that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, let's let's turn our attention to this gas pipeline because we've been talking about this the last couple of days. Yeah, and you interviewed the energy minister about it yesterday, and I have to say Josie Osborne didn't sound all that concerned about the situation. No, she didn't. Created up there, but uh, Fortis private company provides the natural gas service in the Okanagan. It's already got about 105,000 customers and it's looking at the trend lines in an area that's fast growing. It's getting a lot of BC's immigrants and they're saying we need to expand our pipeline network up there to deal with a looming problem of capacity. Fortis says what it needed is a $327 million, 30 kilometer natural gas pipeline extension and they said they need to get going on it because the shortage could be there within two winters. So that's what they proposed. They went to the Utilities Commission, and the result was a shocking decision, in my view. The commission agreed with Fortis. There's a, a, an imminent problem with capacity, but the commission turned down the application for the pipeline. They said they don't think that that region is going to need a natural gas pipeline expansion in the long run because the government's climate action plans are going to flatten demand for natural gas. And they told uh, Fortis to go back and come up with other alternatives for the short term. I heard the minister yesterday. Sounds like she's perfectly comfortable with that decision. She said Fortis has been asked to come up with alternatives. They've been given till June or July. Uh, and they'll do that. Uh, Fortis is saying, yeah, well, what choice do they have? They will do that. But they're warning that, you know, their analysis on this and the company was risking its own money is that 
natural gas expansion is going to be needed because whatever you think of climate action, it's not going to flatten demand within two winters. Right. And so the argument that the energy minister was making is that they they expect that Fortis is going to come back to them with other options. They expect there will be a range of heating options available to people. Well, uh, yeah, they expect Those, options. They take time, uh, though, it seems to yeah, me. Yeah, they, ex- they expect uh, them to address the capacity without building another pipeline. Well, I mean, pipelines are how we deliver natural gas to people's houses and businesses. And, of course, Fortis makes the point of getting applications all the time for people who want to be plugged into the network. It was... <laughs> I had a letter. I've had a, I've had a few notes from people in that region who said it was thirty five below on the weekend. Right? They're going if they don't have gas heating. Uh, they're going well. You know, I can see why people want to hook up. Building a new housing development, starting a business, you want natural gas because, again, if you if you buy into all of the logic of climate action. In the short to medium term, natural gas is cleaner than diesel and other options, right? And Fortis, yesterday I heard an executive of Fortis on with Jazz Johal on NW, and he pointed out the government's making a big deal of how many megawatts of electricity they delivered at the peak on Friday. Well, Fortis points out that they delivered by the same method of measuring energy they deliver twice as much natural gas as hydro delivered electricity. We are very, very dependent in this province still on natural gas. And the idea that you can just wishfully wish away any need to expand capacity because climate action is going to flatten demand in the long run, yes, it probably will. In the short to medium term, I don't know what they're going to do up there for natural gas if this pipeline thing doesn't get built. All right, Vaughn, thank you for that. Bye-bye, Simi. That is Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. If you want to weigh in, simi at cknw.com.